Hey everyone, Austin and Tyler with 8x80 here, and if you are tuned into this episode, you might be thinking, well, where's the normal hour plus of the guys just completely windbagging it? Well, that's not what this is. This is our episode that we record on Sunday nights. It's our weekly kind of review that we've been doing for Nebraska Talk Radio. Uh, it's a quick hitter. If you like it, and you want to hear it earlier in the week because it will be dropping on Wednesday mornings. If you want to hear it earlier, head over to Nebraska Talk Radio. Uh, we record on Sundays, and so it's available exclusively there on Mondays and Tuesdays. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Um, we've put a lot of good content into these, um, especially revolving around how we see our top tens, um, some big things that have happened throughout the week, big storylines. Um, as the season goes on, we'll keep doing some more of these, but we wanted to bring it to you guys that maybe are missing it from the Nebraska talk uh, radio show. But like Austin said, if you want that earlier access, you got to go check it out. They're doing a lot of really great things over there covering volleyball, uh, softball, cross country. I mean, they're, they're covering a lot of different sports. It's a really great station to just kind of have playing in the background. I've got it playing out in the shop all the time um, just to keep it on basically a loop and keep, keep the updated knowledge around the state of high school sports um really great thing that they're doing glad that we're a part of it and we wanted to bring this extra show to you guys um if you enjoy it be sure to let us know um as we'd love to hear some feedback around it but other than that enjoy the show and we'll see you guys for the normal show on thursday Welcome in 8 by 8 podcast, Austin Ham, Tyler Smith, and the Nebraska Talk edition, and we'll be going over some notable uh, notable results from week five, and I mean, we said it last week on the Wednesday show, it wasn't a week that was super heavy with, you know, top 10 matchups or a lot of ranked on ranked or heavyweight fights, certainly, but there were still, I think, some telling results and some pretty interesting meaningful ones and it honestly without a bunch of super heavyweight matchups kind of let us take a little closer look at some teams you know back in that you know 12 to 16 to 20 range of the playoff seating too i think it let us get a little deeper look at both of these classes yeah and some guys really stood out um in that kind of mid-tier range um just outside the top tens where maybe those teams don't get quite the coverage that they normally do in the year um but yeah one game that we did in our pickums was that Elkhorn Valley game uh, against Summerlin, where Elkhorn Valley actually came out on top in that one, 26 to 22. Um, the Falcons are really starting to kind of build some momentum this season. They've gotten a couple, couple big time wins. Um, this one over Summerlin was a really good game. I know you dove into that one, watched that one pretty close, as that was one of the earlier kickoff games. Um, but with the way Elkhorn Valley's schedule kind of shapes up where they end the season in Plainview, um, this, they could go on a little bit of a run here. Yeah, and that was such an impressive win because, again, going on the road, it's a team right up the road for me. This certainly is something that I would consider a rivalry, the way these two squads match up in just about every single sport. So, you know, there was an emo- it was a good emotional game as well. Uh, both teams really played quite well, but for Elkhorn Valley to eke out the 26 to 22 win and to be able to hold on Mason Hageman 130 yards three scores on the ground Mason Nitz did enough did enough passing wise and the defense was able to hold up stand up get some turnovers in some big moments it was it was a really impressive win for the Falcons and like you said they're one of those teams that's outside the top 10 and I don't they don't have the resume and I don't think we could find the room for them to be a ranked type team 
at this point. But at the same time, I really have to look at Elkhorn Valley as a team that we probably need to take seriously because they're, like you said, the way their schedule lines up, they're in contention to try to win six games, maybe get first and maybe even second round home playoff game. And if you can get that second round playoff game as of the home team, you've got a real chance to make some noise. Yeah, and, and and the way, especially that that final game against Plainview to end the season is, is the big one there um, where they win that one and, and it's really going to shake the trees and really kind of create some buzz going into that playoff run. Uh, another game that uh, that had a team that you were really high on, um, that was Anselmo Myrna versus Mullen. Um, this one we really didn't see coming in as kind of a bit of a blowout, but it ended up being Anselmo Myrna. 42, uh, Mullen 24. Um, it's always kind of a notable game when an undefeated team goes down, um, which was that Mullen team. Um, this is a really big time win um, for the Anselmo Myrna, I believe it's Coyotes. Um, but yeah, we, we, we thought this would be a pretty good game, pretty close game, um, but we, we really didn't see that much coming into effect. Um, but yeah, the Coyotes looked really good in that one, Austin. And it really came down to Quentin Myers for Anselmo Myrna having kind of a star type of performance, 185 and two through the air, 134 and four on the ground, just, you know, was all over the place. I think he led the team in tackles or was right near the top of the team lead in tackles as kind of a linebacker safety. They were just, they were all over it. They led 22 to six at half. And they outscored Mullen by two points, but held on to kind of ma- to maintain that lead through the second half and were just able to control this game. And listen, this is a Mullen squad that I still think is very dangerous, still has plenty of talent, but they're not super deep in terms of they just don't have a ton of bodies on the roster. And so that'll be something to keep an eye on as we're deeper and deeper into this season because, again, this is a dangerous Mullen team and... It's a really impressive win for Anselmo Myrna. And an interesting thing to keep an eye on with this, too, is when you think about how this relates to the top tens is Anselmo Myrna, Mullen, and Twin Loop kind of playing a round-robin schedule. And I think they're all going to come out with one loss from that round-robin. And what that's probably going to mean is that uh, South Loop is going to have at most one Division One team on their on their schedule by the end of the season. Because for a PowerPoint's perspective, it would probably be just be Sandhill Stedford because either Mullen and Selma Myrna or Twin Loop would have to beat South Loop to keep themselves at seven wins and try to get that to give them that extra spot. So there's just it doesn't seem like you're going to have some of those resume boosters for the for the Bobcats that we were hoping. And this just the kind of depth of quality of this district with and Selma Myrna, Mullen and Twin Loop all being really competitive and playing these really outstanding games like that is really going to be what I think ultimately negatively affects the seating for what we think is one of the best teams in the class out there. Yeah. And uh, talking about kind of that round robin type deal of what's all going on in that district. Uh, and someone Myrna gets Sandhill Stedford here this upcoming week. And uh, worst case for South loop would be Sandhill Stedford drops that one. And that would really shake things up in terms of the PowerPoints um, in that district. But yeah, uh, the Coyotes have Sandhill Sudford, then they get Hyannis, and then uh, they end the season against South Loop. So their schedule is getting really tough here down the stretch. Um, but this was a good statement win for the Coyotes. You want to talk about a statement win, though. Let's let's just talk about that matchup that had a couple of the top tens in it over there in D2, and that was Johnson Brock taking on Lord Central Catholic. 
talk about a statement win, Austin. The Johnson Brock Eagles, forty-seven to zero. Yeah, it, I mean, they did. It was like they did everything right. Uh, Lords couldn't get anything going through the air as a team finished six of seventeen passing for fifty-two yards and two interceptions. Uh, 3.1 yards per carry on 26 carries on the ground. So just absolutely nothing to be had offensively. They just couldn't seem to stop Johnson Brock. I mean, 47 is not a crazy number, but they just kept rolling and rolling and rolling. And I mean, Sloan Pelican, my, my God, I mean, this kid, just the, the truck stick hits that he lays his, his command of the offense, the ball placement, you know, those are things that are just, nice, gentle, nuanced quarterbacking that he does so, so well. But then when he decides to get out and run, he runs basically like a fullback, had multiple highlight reel shoulders that he just blows through defenders. He was just, it felt like he was almost unstoppable in this game, especially during the early portion where it felt like Johnson Brock was putting it away in the first half. Yeah, and and the first couple of possessions really seemed like these two teams were kind of feeling each other out. Uh, Johnson Brock stalls on their first possession. Lords goes down, um, actually gets a couple really good runs right out the gate up the middle where I thought maybe maybe this is going to be a little bit different game that people had kind of scripted. And then all of a sudden, uh, Johnson Brock gets a stop. And then like you talked about in that early part of the game, Sloan Pelican just kind of goes off. Um, I'd have to check the stats, but I know I know uh, oh, his name's slipping my mind now, the top receiver. Oh, um Van Winkle. Yeah. Is it Chase? Chase Van Winkle. Yeah. Um, I, I think he was over double digits in terms of catches, but that, that first touchdown that he had, um, on, I think it was like fourth and 11 or something like that, just throwing it up into the end zone, letting his receiver go up and underneath of it. And Van Winkle made a nice diving catch to really kind of start the game. And from that point on, it was all Eagles. I mean, you talked about the, the truck sticks when Pelican decided to take it down and run, um, did a real, like, they, as a team, played really well defensively against a Lords team that was kind of getting some things going early in the run game. Um, then you talked about the inefficient passing game, but I think that's not really the type of style that they wanted to play. I think that was just kind of game script in terms of being behind and thinking they needed to score and try and keep up. Um, but I'm I'm not sure which team this this one tells us more about, if it tells us more about the Johnson Brock Eagles or if it talks tells us more about the Lords Central Catholic Knights. It's tricky because, I mean, one thing that was just as I was trying to kick around in my head, okay, what does it mean? What does this game mean? Again, we had two top 10 teams go up and it's a 47 to nothing shutout. What does that tell us about? What does that tell us about these squads? And I think one thing that popped into my head, Tyler, and I just I'm not sure how how this is going to play for you, but I'm curious. I mean, Johnson Brock beat Lords worse than Bloomfield beat Tri-County Northeast two weeks ago. Yeah. And that's just I I I I don't know what to do with that. I don't know what that means, but it feels like a significant like we have to respect that margin of victory. I still think this is a I still think this is a pretty darn good Lord Central Catholic team. And again, I mean Johnson Brock just kind of worked them. Johnson Brock's just kind of worked everybody that they have played this year. They've allowed eight, six, zero, twelve, and zero points. They're just absolutely wrecking teams. And I mean, really, if you would. I think if you had told us to start the year off that Johnson Brock was going to have that kind of a defense to go with an offense that we're big, big fans of, I think we'd have been pretty dang high, probably higher than we were in the preseason on what the Eagles could do this year. Yeah, we knew that offense was going to be good, even though it was replacing a couple pieces, um, especially uh, Nick Perriott. But 
if you'd have told us this defense was going to be this good, I mean, we'd have been all all aboard the Pelican train. Um, but they do get another good test here this upcoming week against uh, BDS, and that will be on the road this year. Um, so another good, tough matchup there. I'm anxious to see how that one goes. But as of right now, I think Johnson Brock can easily make a case that right now there's there's a tier. I, I consider it a tier of three teams at the, at the top of D2 um, with the rest. I mean, the next seven are all right on the heels. But I feel like that top tier of three of South Loop, why not? And Johnson Brock. I mean, you can make an argument for any one of those three that they deserve the number one spot. Yeah, it's the, we've been talking about it being a wide open class, and I think we've just kind of seen it is still fairly wide open. I mean, like you said, seven, eight teams that you could realistically say can hoist the trophy, but that's seven, eight teams that have continued to kind of salt away their resumes and really put themselves out in front. Um, another t- a team that's kind of worked their way into the top 10 in D1 this year, that's Plainview. And so this week they eked out a 55 to 44 win over Neely. And I mean, they had a pretty good lead at one point. I think they were up 35 to 16 or they were up 28 to six Then I know. And then they gave up a safety and that, then I think it was 35 to six. Yeah. Then 35 to 16 after that. And then again, finishes 55 to 44. I mean, it just, they weren't able to put Neely away and now Neely sitting at one and four. And I know everybody's going to say this is to, oh, this Neely team is better than their one and four record. Again, they've played Plainview. They lost a heartbreaker to Elkhorn Valley. They've played Howell's Dodge. They've got a pretty quality schedule. That's a and, and that's a strong one in four team, but it's still a one in four team. And you were just not able to find ways to put them away. And I I know there's some people that look at this and go, listen, they you you go on the road to beat Neely, that's a quality win for Plainview. But I'm I'm cons- I've got more questions about the Pirates after that one. I just would have liked to see, I think, to see their defense looked in the first quarter or so of that game like it was just absolutely going to dominate that their defensive line was just going to give Bryce and Gattican absolutely no space to run no space to throw no anything throughout the whole afternoon and he was ultimately able to kind of get things going Corbin Hofer at running back wide receiver he got going a little bit as well and it just kind of felt like Plainview I don't know if they were playing with their food and it kind of reared up and bit them or if there was just a little bit too much grab ass going on or I they were really able to run the ball inconsistent passing and it just it was, again it felt like a spot where Plainview could have put a real statement win out for a team that you and I were a little bit lower than consensus on coming in, coming out of the offseason and this didn't feel like a statement this felt like we held on and just, we were able to survive and that's about it yeah which is really surprising because I, I really the way that Plainview jumped out in that game where it seemed like everything was going right they were establishing the run game they were being dominant on defense I really thought they were going to run away with that one. In fact, I was watching that game on the way over to uh, Bloomfield versus Randolph, and I actually shut it off because it was getting it was getting to be that big of a blowout. And then I don't know if they just kind of took their foot off the gas. Um, I think I think you're right. I think it was kind of playing playing with their food, kind of taking their foot off the gas, and not not really finishing out the game. And when you get good athletes like Gattakin, um, like Fersenau on that Neely team, they can hurt you in a hurry. The way the way that offense can roll if it's clicking and you kind of give them a little bit of space to move. Um, the next couple matchups for Plainview are the same way where 
They get Lutheran High Northeast this week, and then Summerland, who's shown that they can have a good passing attack. And then they end the season with that Elkhorn Valley team that we just talked about, building a lot of momentum. Elkhorn Valley right now is sitting four and one, and and they're hoping to go essentially bracket busting early in this regular season, or late in the regular season. They they'd love nothing more than to go into Plainview and ruin that game themselves. So if you're I, I really was hoping Plainview would kind of make that big statement win, like we saw Crofton beating Neely just a couple weeks ago, where they were able to put up some really big points for an offense that we really didn't see putting up that many points until that game. I'm surprised that Plainview kind of let that let this Warrior team kind of hang around and instead of it kind of solidifying where we're starting to move them up in the rankings, it really makes me question what's going to happen in these next three matchups where they're going against some teams with some pretty good athletes in space. Yeah. It feels like this was an opportunity for them to say, yeah, we've got a good finish to the schedule, but look, we're playing our best ball. And that's just not what this felt like. You watch the tape of the tape of this game versus the tape that you watched, uh, that we watched of Plainview when they played say Hardington Newcastle a couple weeks ago. It's just, I mean, you see the same flashes, you've seen the same athleticism with those dudes that are out there, but the consistency, certainly the consistency on the defensive side of the ball, that just didn't, it didn't show up here. And I don't, and again, it could just be a one-off game. You know, this was a kind of weird week with a lot of games getting moved around, getting start times bumped up due to weather. Saw Sandhill Stedford get their game moved from Thursday night to Friday at noon. Like, things were just sliding all over the place because of weather, and that could contribute to a little bit of weirdness. But at the same time, again, you just... One thing that you really wanted to see was to the top teams to really go out and take care of business. And the majority of these top tens did, but the couple spots where they didn't kind of stand out even more because all the other teams in those contender-type tiers really did take care of business. So the final game that we wanted to highlight as on a you know an individual game level from this week was a little bit deeper cut. And that was EPPJ with a 22 to 12 win over Boyd County, and we've been talking up EPPJ in terms of being kind of the the big time the big team that would be an opportunity for uh, Ainsworth this coming week to kind of put their biggest notch biggest best notch in their belt this season, but. EPPJ really had to battle to get that win over Boyd County. And then you look at uh, Kellen Hofer and Dylan Luking both sat out this game with injuries. And Hofer doesn't look like he's going to be back. Luking could potentially be back at some point here before too long. It doesn't look like Hofer's got a lot better chance of his season ending than Luking. So we'll be keeping an eye on that, obviously. But, I mean, a D2 team losing two quality starters that matters a lot. And again, this is an EPPJ team that statewide, I think there's a lot more hype for than even you and I have been giving them. Uh, again, there's been a lot of excitement and buzz around the thought of them with another matchup against Ainsworth this year. Some of the shine seems to come off that if they're not fully healthy. And I, I think that's probably my biggest question for this one coming out of it is, okay, how tough is this Boyd County front? Are they really able, were they really able to slow down EPPJ here? Or was this, this just a health issue? Yeah, and that that's the big question is and not only is was that game a result of the health issue, but how much is that health issue gonna cause in this upcoming week? Even if I mean we we think Luking's gonna be able to go, but even if he is, what percentage is he at? Is he eighty percent? Is he seventy percent? How much does that affect what uh EPPJ tries to do offensively? Does that change how they're gonna sub defensively? Um 
they're a team that likes to be physical, which I think plays into a good strength of theirs in this matchup. But it's it's going to be tough without uh, one of your more physical and better tackling seniors in Dylan Luking in that matchup. Um, I really wish that this was a Thursday game so I could just sit down and just fully dive into it as there's not much going on for me during during kind of the midweek. Um, but regardless, this is going to be a game that you, you've got to tune into. You've got to watch this one. Um, it's going to be at Elgin this year, so they do get the little home field advantage uh, there. Big time, essentially a rivalry. This this really kind of feels like based off of how last season went, where they were up big, had the two big injuries, and then Ainsworth was able to come out on top in that one. Um, I don't know if it feels like a rivalry to the people involved in it, but it feels somewhat like a rivalry to the people outside looking in. Yeah, it just feels, again, you think about that was the game that the two stars for EPPJ got hurt last year. And prior to that, this felt like this was a team that had, you know, hopes and thoughts of getting themselves on a run to a state championship game. And obviously that gets knocked out when you lose your quarterback and your running back in that game against Ainsworth. Uh, it looked like that was going to be Ainsworth's first first loss of the season until you have those two injuries and the Bulldogs come storming back to win it in dramatic fashion. I yeah, it uh, again, this it may not be a rival a true rivalry to these two teams and maybe unless they keep playing uh, barn burners over a couple of years maybe it won't become one, but at the same time based on what happened last year and just kind of where these two teams are at, it does feel like a game that's got an awful lot of juice and you know that the the guys are, I'm sure the guys are at the very least aware of kind of how many eyeballs are going to be on this game. I mean, anytime anybody plays Ainsworth, there's you got to imagine every team is ready to get up for that because you know the eyeballs are going to be there with Carter Nelson on the field and all the hype that he brings. But I, it, it just takes a lot of the shine off of this one if we're not able to see fully healthy Dylan Luking because when you talk about, all right, let's try to put together a physical defense that can that can stop the run a little bit, but can still run and cover. And what do, what do you need for linebackers to do that? You need a guy like Dylan Luking out there, and it really hampers how you can envision EPPJ slow, potentially slowing down Ainsworth if they don't have him. Yeah, and that's just it. I mean, how how much can they contain the four star tight end, and how much of a loss is it going to be to not have Dylan Luking on the field, um, even if it's just a couple possessions that he's got to take off in in terms of his percentage of being healthy. Um, But that's one of our key games we're going to be looking at this week, um, kind of diving into that one on the Wednesday show. And the other one that I really want to highlight that we've got coming up this upcoming week is Humphrey St. Francis at Howell's Dodge. Um, That's going to essentially decide who wins that district um, and really changes things in terms of the rankings, especially our rankings um in terms of where we have both of them this is a game that i think is going to be really physical really hard hitting game um that i could see either putting up a whole bunch of points or being very similar to the saint francis versus why not game where it was what was that 14 to 6 14 to 8 something like that yeah i I think it was eight i think yeah something something along those lines where it could be very high scoring but it could also be very low scoring in terms of how good these defenses are yeah, I mean, that's just flat out one of the most exciting games of the year, especially how those teams back to me. I remember when we were when we were in high school prior to the Howells Dodge co-op, just 
Howells and St. Francis played fairly regularly in regular season games. And those are always just absolutely titanic clashes. And I mean, okay, so maybe it's not, you know, uh, number two versus a number four team, but these are both legit top 10 teams, both teams that nobody would be shocked to see at like a semifinal type level. This is dead. You can't ask for much more juice in a regular season game. And we'll spend a lot of time on that one, I think on Wednesday, because that's just, there's so many facets of that game. That'll be so interesting to kind of dive into. There's a lot of really good games this week. So we try and we both just try to snag, you know, one, two here at the end to throw to make sure people are keeping an eye out for this coming week. There's just so many good ones, but I think the one that I want to circle here is Arapaho at Highline. Uh, Arapaho has kind of made a bounce back here this year, had that big win over Alma a couple weeks ago. Highline with Riker Evans, their only loss this year being that absolute nail biter to North Platte St. Pat's. This has the makings uh, also of just an absolute, absolute awesome game. And whoever can win this one probably puts themselves in pretty primo position, both from a PowerPoints perspective and from a rankings perspective for the rest of the year. Yeah, and and I don't foresee this one being a low-scoring affair. I think there's too many good athletes on the field for both teams. Um, you got Will Casey for Arapahoe. You've got Riker Evans, who we've talked about plenty on both both of our shows um, throughout the season. I don't foresee this one being low-scoring at all. I think there's too many weapons on the field um, that you get them an inch of space and they're they're going to take it to the house. Um, that's a that's a really really good game that's going to be a lot of fun to watch um yeah that i'm there's not a lot more i can say about that one other than that's going to be such a fun game to go in and deep dive and watch and see how both these two teams fare and how important it is in terms of those power rankings um you win this you're probably hosting playoffs for at least a round maybe maybe two um like you talked about with Highline's only loss coming in that nail biter against North Platte St. Pat's, this just feels really important in terms of saying, Hey, we can beat other top 10 teams. Um, as a Rapaho is really kind of hanging around there on the back end of that top 10. Um, and if you're a Rapaho, this is a big statement win to say, Hey, we can hang with literally anybody in D one. Yeah. This has, again, this is going to be a great one. Arapaho at Highline St. Francis at Howell's Dodge is going to be a great one. Uh, in just kind of the grab bag of really good games to talk about. I think I've got another six of them laid out here for us. So we're going to have a lot to get into on the Wednesday show this week. So make sure you're tuning in for that. We'll be, again, we, we record that late on Wednesday night. So we'll get that posted and then it'll hit your social media feeds on Thursday morning. Hit the podcast players, all, anyone that you like to listen to, Apple, Spotify, Google, it'll hit all of those on Wednesday night. So Be ready for that. But otherwise, as always, big thanks to Nebraska Talk for letting us be a part of this Nebraska Talk radio experience. And Tyler, I think that'll do it. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to be on Nebraska Talk radio and hope everybody has a good, safe week of football. See ya.